0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Night South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, has anything happened since we last talked on these airwaves? Like, you know, besides the big news that Mike Bobo is out as Auburn's offensive coordinator. Any like big things happen in college football or no? The punishment just came down
1: for the heat that they're giving up their second round draft pick. So that's been pretty monumental.
0: Big, big sports week. We've hit everything, I think. We just had the podcast. All right, right podcast here, right over. Good, good work, boys. Sweet. This was efficient. Glad we were able to, to, to get all this great talk in. No, I, my head's still spinning. Three days after the fact about what happened in college football, it's been days. Still can't believe Lincoln Riley went to USC and Brian Kelly went to LSU. Have you been able to process this yet? We're gonna try and do that here today, but have you as an LSU fan fully processed what just happened with Scott Woodward?
1: I I can't believe like, it's one of those things where news just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and we were just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and all the names just started flying off the board. And then like, if you really went into it, it was like LSU didn't talk to anybody. And it was like either we're going to hit a home run or we're going to just golden sombrero this and end up with like, I don't even know. Because all the, all the medium like mid names were assigned to extension. So it was like, oh, we're going to end up with like, Somebody random and I was like trying to fill, and like I figured out it was Brian Kelly like before the news even broke Because there was a puzzle you could kind of put together that was like, okay Can't be in a conference championship game kind of an older boomery guy Like and like went down like this list of qualifications. I like called my friends in a group chat and I was like Brian Kelly and then like two or three hours later the reports popped up. and I was like, oh my god, it's gonna happen
0: it's unbelievable to think about the two days that unfolded in college football. And I think part of a part of our college football society is a bit numb to that. Mm-hmm. But even for those people, I can't help but think Sunday and Monday with the way it unfolded with Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly just had to be one of those things that you, you won't forget about anytime soon because of the implications it could have for the next decade on this sport. We're gonna get to all of that, I promise. We're gonna also talk about the SEC Championship, which, oh, by the way, is happening this weekend. We're going to talk a little bit of playoff, some Heisman stuff, a little more coaching carousel stuff with my guy Brad Crawford. He does bowl implications and bowl projections. That's exactly what he focuses on so well at 247 Sports. So we're going to hit on that and we're going to end with some SEC championship predictions in bold and brash. But before we do all of that, Crystal, is your move to keep all your fans in your life Fueled throughout the season, pick up some original Crystal sackfuls, chili cheese puffs, or their new crispier fries to feed everyone at your tailgate or viewing party this season. Got into a debate with my buddies. What's the best fry? They were kind of like, oh, Crinkle Cut's got to be up there. That's got to be top notch. If you If you're not serving crispy fries, what are you really doing with yourself? Crystal's got you covered there. Download the app and make it easy to order today. Make a game plan with Crystal because when you keep Crystal on your side this season, you could score the W. Will, we got to talk a whole lot of Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley stuff. A little peel behind the onion here. (laughs) So on Sunday... We had a million things to do around the house. Lauren and I did. We finished recording our usual Sunday recap pod, which meant obviously in the next hour, either Florida or LSU was going to announce their hire. Of course, we knew that was going to happen. And yeah, Florida did, don't you know it? So I recorded some thoughts on that. Thank you everybody who listened to the Sunday pod. Wrote a column about why I really liked the move, how I was so impressed with the process that it took to get Billy Napier to Florida. Tip of the cap to Scott Strickland for doing that. And Florida fans, I promise we're going to have a lot more Napier thoughts moving forward as we get into the offseason. Within an hour after that finished, and I was able to kind of close the book on that for at least a day, my guy Perry texts Marler, Candler, and I in the group chat, and he says, did not expect Riley to USC. (laughs) My first thought is Perry, what are you talking about here, man? What What are we doing? I'm like, oh, sure. So then he drops in the, the Pete Dammel tweet, and uh, he says that they're, the tweet says they're targeting Lincoln Riley to be the next head coach at USC. And I go, yeah, targeting is the key word here that we're talking about.
1: Same thing you and told me sh- when
0: I was texting you freaking out about oh, I'm getting me. Will, I'm getting there, don't you worry. I'm getting there. I'm, getting, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you my full apology for that. So then we get another tweet in that group text, saying Lincoln Riley just informed his staff, that he's taking the USC job. And my jaw darn near hit the floor. Could not believe it. And I felt so bad for telling Perry, hey man, you're nuts for thinking that's actually gonna happen. Stop wasting my time with this crap, with this Reddit crap right now. (laughs) You'd think, after that experience, that I would've learned my lesson. But no, because Will, the very next day you text me, all caps we got brian kelly coming from an lsu fan i didn't want to immediately burst the bubble and say oh that's not gonna happen but i did in typical connor fashion have the response you know it's not done yet (laughs) then don't you know it within the hour the bombshell dropped apparently i just need to believe every wild text that i get about some crazy hire and stop brushing it off like it'll never happen because this thing just happened i couldn't believe it could not believe that that was indeed true and i kept checking my phone every two seconds it's one of those things where laura and i are like watching a movie and i'm like checking my phone i'm like wait a minute i'm waiting for the the shoe to fall i'm waiting for notre dame to come over the top with some ridiculous raise and instead no this is really happening This is the type of thing that doesn't happen once in a coaching carousel, much less twice on consecutive days. Never mind the fact that no coach had left Notre Dame in over a century. This this splashy hire was unique in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. This is going to fuel an entire decade of these splashy hires being tossed around with every sort of halfway decent vacancy. You know that's going to happen. I'll say, well, hey, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma for USC. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU. You can't say no to anything at this point. Yep. That's going to happen. We told you Scott Woodward makes bigger splashes than Ham Porter from Sandlot. <laughs> Dude just drain the whole stinking pool, all right? This is splashy. That contract with all the incentives, uh, he's got a retention bonus and a bowl bonus at LSU. Mm-hmm. It's like 500 grand to go to a bowl game at LSU. It's just comical to see that in there. That deal is going to be worth well north of $100 million. Oh, yeah. And so every everyone's kind of wondering, looking at those figures, well, yeah, probably just money, right? Like the, the fairy godmother comment that made the rounds about the $250 million contract that it would take for him to leave. And that of course, big foot in mouth moment for Brian Kelly to see that, but what everybody is kind of wondering is did Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley just abandon quality programs for this, this simple, the simple act of chasing a dollar was, is that why they left? And the money held for sure, there's no doubt about it. It's not like they were leaving for you know for, for equal pay or anything like that. But this is so clear to me now, especially as we're a couple of days removed from this announcement happening in both in both jobs. Both of them saw their ceiling. They'll never come out and say those exact words, but that is why they left. Mm -hmm. They saw their programs get humiliated in the playoff semifinal. They saw that they weren't a second in 26 from winning a national championship. To win a national championship in the current system, or in the one that it looks like we're heading towards with expansion, you're probably beating three top five teams to get there, assuming you play one in a conference championship. Well, here's a trivia question for you. Since 1997, how many times has Notre Dame beat a top five team?
1: Oh, gosh, 97, so that's going to include all, like, the Brady Quinn stuff? Oh, I, yeah. I'm, even that, man, I'm going to say, like, two.
0: Three. Yep. That exact number, three wins against an AP top five team Notre Dame has since 1997. That's not a Brian Kelly thing. That's a Notre Dame thing. And Coach o did that in one season. <laughs> Easily. More than that, in a yeah. month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's all you need to know. Brian Kelly's got the number 12 roster in terms of the two four seven sports talent composite. He's got one five-star kid on the roster. You ready for this? hmm At LSU right now, where there hasn't been a coach for two months, they got two five-star commits. Yep. Brian Kelly had a total of seven five-star kids since 2017. That's when he started this streak of double-digit win seasons at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. He's had nothing but that. But here's what I mean by the ceiling comment. Besides the fact that Oklahoma and Notre Dame are combined 0-5 in playoff semifinal games with only one loss by single digits, in the past five seasons against teams outside of the top five, Oklahoma is 54-7, Notre Dame is 53-5. Against teams inside the AP top five, Oklahoma, 1-3, Notre Dame, 1-4. That one win Confident. against a... a Yep, exactly. Without Trevor as we always joke yep. about. In double overtime, during the pandemic, when rosters were kind of all over the place, that game last year, that was Notre Dame's first win against the number one team in the country in 27 years. Brian Kelly saw the ceiling. He saw even this team, this 21, 2021 team, even if it somehow made the playoff, it didn't have a chance to win a national title. And the guy has done everything but win a national title. I think he does that at LSU before Lincoln Riley does that at USC. And that might, that might be a little bit unpopular to say that, because Lincoln Riley's got a ton to work with, for sure. He's got the better in-state recruiting. He's got less competition in the Pac-12. That, that had to factor into his decision to leave an SEC-bound Oklahoma team as well. And then think what you will about the LSU offer that was on the table, that was not on the table. Whatever the case may be, Lincoln Riley told you, yeah, the I don't need to go to the SEC, all right? I, I can I can have a very nice situation out on the West Coast. He didn't want to but go um, to the that, SEC. <laughs> That's the fact. Exactly. He could he, have gone he to the didn't SEC. Lean into it. <laughs> Brian Kelly leaned into it. Lincoln Riley, whatever he did, it was not leaning into going to the SEC, that much we know. I'm baffle that so many people assume that Riley is now really going to take that next step in the next couple of years beyond what he did at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Because do you think he's going to get more quarterback talent now than he did at Oklahoma where he had two Heisman winners, a Heisman runner-up, and he started this season with the former five-star recruit who was, oh, by the way, the Heisman favorite, the projected number one overall pick. By the way, Spencer Rattler in the transfer portal kind of gets lost in the shuffle this wild, ridiculous week. Mm-hmm. You cannot possibly get more quarterback talent than what Lincoln Riley already had at Oklahoma. And as great of a state as California is, I'm not buying the belief that he suddenly got a stranglehold on it when recruiting is more national than ever. And with teams like Georgia that spend $4 bucks on recruiting every year, you can still have a presence on the West Coast if you're elite, which was tougher to do when USC was actually good with Pete Carroll. In case you forgot, Pete Carroll, he's the only guy in the last 30 years who's been able to have any sort of success at USC. He also left right before the school got popped for cheating. And everyone's saying that NIL is going to be a game changer in, the, in that market. I keep telling you that the internet is the great equalizer and you don't yep. need to just be in LA to get famous, all right? If you're good, you can blow up anywhere. LSU has been good in every phase of the 21st century. I do believe that Brian Kelly will be the fourth consecutive coach at LSU to win a national championship there. He is incredibly proven as a head coach. And no, I'm not worried about if his shoes have some massive white heel or if he's ever been to a crawfish boil in his entire life. Win football games, the rest will massive take care what, of itself. Wait, hold on.
1: What do you think we do? <laughs> you think I just walk around with like, high heels on?
0: No, no, no. The picture of him coming out of the plane. Yeah, oh. He has the real thick heels. I, I like Brian would... Kelly's like, He's like 5'9", and he was trying to look not 5'9". I, as a 5'9 guy, I'm allowed to say this. <laughs> Go back and look at those photos. The heel is, is thick. I thought you were painting him as like some type of steamboat captain. Like he needs to be some type of man with a mustache. Sorry, continue. If Brian Kelly doesn't show up with top what's he really doing? Exactly. No. Win football games, the rest will take care of itself. He has already been in that highly scrutinized market where he's, he's been called out at times, no doubt about it, for being short with reporters and getting that type of money now at LSU. I don't think he's suddenly going to be surprised when the pressure mounts each year he doesn't win an SEC championship. Speaking of that, if and when expansion to the playoff happens, which is imminent, a 9-3 LSU team is making the playoff. So this belief that Lincoln Riley's path to a national title is so much easier Is it taking that part of this into context? If we're just talking about the 14 playoff for the next decade, all right, fine, totally get it. That makes a lot of sense, but that's not gonna be the case. If LSU and USC are both getting to the same place and 60 minutes of football decides who moves on, this is still about who has the better football team. Mm -hmm. And I think LSU will be the better, more talented football team with Brian Kelly. And that's not some like anti-Lincoln Riley thing. Lincoln Riley is a phenomenal coach. Don't get it twisted, but especially you have to like LSU's chances. If they're able to land a certain Marcus Freeman as the next defensive coordinator, ironic that would be considering he turned down LSU just <laughs> last year. Time is a flat circle, right?
1: I mean, just, and, and hey, to be fair, whatever I takes as you saying we got Brian Kelly. I was at that point with Marcus Freeman last year. So you're right to be skeptical because boy, did he not come to LSU. On the one
0: yard line. Yep. It was, apparently. Sure was, but the sad he was a defensive coordinator, people forget. <laughs> True, we mustn't forget that. Yes, he was going the opposite way. They still had 99 <laughs> yards to <laughs> I didn't go. I tell you what <laughs> direction
1: he was on the one yard line.
0: They had, anyway, though, that you want to look at this, this is a dream hire for Scott Woodward. There is nothing holding your program back. When it looked like he might shorten up and perhaps try to get on base, He's like, no, 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 no. Screw it. I'm still swinging for the fences. And all he did was knock it out of the park. Will, I know you're fired up, but let me ask you this as an LSU fan. Did you have any buyer's remorse once you saw the picture of Brian Kelly flipping his team the bird on the sideline from eight years ago?
1: Oh, man. That was a bombshell. You know, I took it in stride. I think we're all going to get through it together. And as long as he... Formal apology for flipping, flipping the bird. You know what I'm saying? No, I mean, Coach O did. Five worst things than on Saturday on the sideline. I'm
2: sure. <laughs>
1: you think the people of Louisiana? We got Sean Payton. You think we care?
0: I love that that that, that oh, I can't remember who, who it was with that tweet. My bad. I, I I should have been able to to remember and write. Well, he that
1: watermarked down. it, so obviously his plan failed.
0: Yeah. Congratulations. Way to, way to really have that one in your back pocket, just waiting for that day. The second Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame, it's like yeah um you've never been in a college football locker room um listen listen to kirby's halftime speech against florida up 24 to nothing in that football game and you'll find worse things said in there but brian kelly to 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 lsu is the type of thing that can benefit your program for the next decade plus and it showed us that LSU still is the premier job. When the other day we're talking about, man, is, is LSU going to go for the in-state hire with Billy Napier? And by the way, here's the crazy thing. I'm not even dismissing the notion, like Billy Napier could end up being the best hire in this cycle, all right? Like, as I always say, Splash doesn't necessarily win football games. If Billy Napier is a guy who can stay at Florida for a decade, wins him a national championship, we'll look back on this coaching carousel and say, Florida got it right, and Florida got their guy. It's possible for two things to be right at the same exact time. I've just been one of those people that has been saying for a while now, Brian Kelly is being limited by his ceiling at Notre Dame, Mm -hmm. and the fact that he is winning there, we discount it because they're a traditional power, but it is harder to win at Notre Dame than people actually think. And we've seen that play out throughout the 21st century, and it could perhaps play out again in the post-Brian Kelly era. If you're an LSU fan, you should be darn excited right now, and I think they are. I think they are. Is that is that fair, Will?
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I'll say this, like really quick note on what you just said about Kelly versus um, Lincoln Riley. I think they're going in opposite directions. And I think that Lincoln Riley had the facilities, he had, you know, the recruiting. I mean, dude, his defensive class coming in and, and this year and next was so nasty. They were really turning around that defense. And of course, it just seemed like he got a little bit sour and a little bit like indignant about things and probably just had a bad relationship with his AD. I don't think it's any easier to win at USC than it is at um, Oklahoma he just didn't want to be in Oklahoma which fine good for him the Brian Kelly situation man what they have to deal with in Notre Dame as far as not only the GPA but also the red shirt rule man they like red like red shirting is like a taboo there they they don't do it they want to get guys graduated no they still think about that like it's you know 1940. That's a good point. And like if you think about roster management and you think about the fact that obviously in state, Indiana is not doing, you know, a ton. I don't want to, you know, insult the fine people of Indiana. We're a pro Indiana podcast here. But I think that, you know, if you look at Louisiana, you look at that. And and one thing that makes me happy about him is the national recruiting brand. You know, with Coach O, what we had in Louisiana is what we had, man. And for a couple years, we didn't have any offensive linemen. And you're seeing that right now. We got a dude from Harvard that probably should have gone to Notre Dame. (laughs) And honestly, like, their name's the opposite. They're not used to getting in-state kids. They're used to getting kids from the West Coast, kids from yeah, the East they were nationally, kids from Texas, and like that was something that Coach O was woefully bad at. He'd be, you know, we got some great receivers this year. We got some great tight, like whatever they had coming up through the pip- pipeline. That's what we had. Whereas Brian Kelly has found, you know, he hasn't had an issue with depth. I- I'll say this on the news of the hire, and and just kind of as an LSU fan, you know, the goal right now, as the SEC starts to expand, is to not just fall backwards into the abyss. Oklahoma, falling backwards into the abyss. Very easy to do that at this point, yes. Right now. Like, we talked about what happened with Arkansas and how they rebuilt. We've talked about schools like Michigan State, how they've rebuilt the transfers. Going into this expanded SEC, if you don't have your guy, if you don't have stability, the whole pecking order is about to get changed because those guys at Oklahoma, let alone Texas, how delusional they are over there, are going to expect to be up there with Alabama. And so an LSU program that had two years off of a national title, two, you know, average to mediocre seasons after that. I didn't want to go into this with Coach O because you don't know who you are. You don't know where you fit. What are you going to tell recruits? And like, I'll say this, like not to get like sentimental or weird about it, but like I, I found myself thinking about, man, like, you know, the state of Louisiana as a sports fan, right? A lot of us are Saints fans. Some of us are Pelicans fans. I count myself in that group. But the last amount of real sports happiness we had was when Joe Burrow left that field right in the sugar bowl and i was there it was one of the happiest i've ever been in my life and it seems like every piece of news since then has been bad and not only bad but it's been you're not good enough it's been you know you could even go as far as you know the usa Today stories about the scandals at lsu you could talk about all these little things, Marcus Freeman not picking us, us getting down to our eighth defensive coordinator choice, all these different things, you know, the guys leaving, the guys entering the transfer portal. And you were told over and over and over again, this fan base is delusional. They don't deserve this. They aren't this job they think they are. And people were getting excited about this notion that LSU, you know, we, we talked about people calling Coach O'Gene Chiswick and saying, oh, this is a one and done. People wanted to discredit the, the progress that LSU had had. And we were looking into, like I said, this abyss of the, of the, Big SEC with these, you know, pods or all, whatever we're doing. And it's like, where do we fit in here? And honestly, no matter how you view this, no matter how you view this, this coach left the program, like you said, hadn't lost a guy since 1907. That's when the Ottoman Empire was around. Okay. <laughs> Wait, who was president? Who was president in 1907? Oh, gosh,
0: 1907. I mean, it wasn't, was it, uh, it was a Taft? I think Taft was my first guess. I think it was Taft. It was Taft or. Yeah, McKinley got shot. Um, I think I think we're talking Taft administration right now. <laughs> Somebody let us know.
1: This is this is why I love this podcast. <laughs> anyway, like like I said, the Ottoman Empire was around. It was a different universe. We have a guy who has a number four recruiting class in this cycle at Notre Dame with these weird yep. weird things that we're talking about here. Number three, next cycle, okay. And at the end of the day, it feels so good to be loved. Just, I I hate to say it like that, but to be told, dude, you're good enough. Because at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? He left a locker room that was almost playoff bound, man. At the end of the day, people can talk about, you know, how he left and all that different stuff, but coaches don't do this. And it took two very unique- Exactly. It it took two very unique situations for for this to happen. It took a school like LSU and an AD like Scott Woodward. And after, in 2016, us getting passed over for Jimbo Fisher and Tom Herman, and Coach O coming in with his binder, and us being like, oh my God, we're gonna fall backwards in the abyss. And luckily, Cocho righted the ship through recruiting. You know what I'm saying? But you look at Ryan Kelly's track record, if you count all of college football, because he was a D2 for a minute, he's the winningest coach in college football. If you're saying anything but this is a stabilizing hire, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what to tell you because that's the goal right now. The goal isn't to win a national title next year. The goal is to not screw this up and fall backwards into the abyss. And I feel like this was the Agreed. perfect hire for that.
0: There are and that is very, very well said and spot on with so many of those points. And, and one of the things that we, we keep coming back to is <clears throat> this type of thing doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it happened with Jimbo Fisher, albeit with some different circumstances a m is one of the three SEC fan bases who watched this play out and breathed a sigh of relief when they saw the Brian Kelly news. At least they should have, not necessarily because they think they're also going to beat LSU and they're going to dominate them, but just internally with their own programs. And obviously AM is one of them because Jimbo Fisher gave the best denial that we've heard among <laughs> a college coach this year. Numerous and kept ranches saying, for Jimbo Fisher, not one ranch. Now one at ranches all right <laughs> Keep, key thing to remember here and the situation there was just at a and was so much different than what he had at Florida State and that was the key thing keeping him in College Station instead of making the move and joining up with Scott Woodward yet again two other fan bases breathe a sigh of relief Old miss Lane Kiffin, not totally out of the woods yet TBD on that. Hopefully this isn't cold take by the time this recording comes out, but have to be feeling really good that LSU did not pursue Lane Kiffin and give him the full court press. I know he had the trolling tweet when he was in the state of Louisiana with the license plate thing, all that, Mm -hmm. but the other fan base, Kentucky Mark Stoops gets a new contract Mm -hmm. instead of Scott Woodward poaching your your coach, the guy who's about to become your winningest coach in program history and pass Bear Bryant on that list. Mm-hmm. What a kick to the nuts that would have been as a Kentucky fan to watch LSU swoop in and do that. Your guy re-ups. He's coming back. That's, yep. the, that's a, not necessarily, it didn't get to that point where it was like, oh man, this is happening. But there were talks that he was potentially going to be going to Florida. And that was something that we had been hearing throughout this process. It would have obviously taken a lot to get him to Gainesville likely. But those three fan bases, I felt like, Oh, just that that sigh of relief. All right, our guys should be locked in moving forward. And if you can survive this carousel, if you can survive this one, as crazy as it's been, you got to feel pretty good moving forward about not having your coach get poached. And in an era in which we just saw Oklahoma and Notre Dame get their coaches poached, never say never. Yep, that, that is on the table for so many of these different programs. All right, should we talk C Championship? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's still going down this weekend. Alabama, Georgia. Georgia's a six and a half point favorite. The over under I have is one Georgia point in the fourth quarter, Will. Why do I bring that up? Why? Oh, can't wait. In three games against Nick Saban, Kirby Smart's team has been outscored 31 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Wow. Yep. Real stat, not including overtimes for 27 national champion 2017 national championship, mm-hmm. but 31 to nothing in the fourth quarter. That is how you blow three second half leads. If Georgia is only up a touchdown late in this one, that'll be the largest elephants in the room that you've ever seen. yes, pun intended on that one. We'll also wonder about Georgia playing in a 60 minute game because Georgia has got that playoff spot locked in, in my opinion. Their season isn't ending on Saturday. We haven't had to worry about that with Stetson Bennett as the starter. I've got some wild stats for you, Will. Ready I'll for this? Go. The latest that Georgia has trailed in a game all year, Tennessee. Dogs were behind 10-7, to 9.43 left in the second quarter. All right, that's that's one. That's a little just a little appetizer for you. Stetson Bennett has not played in a fourth quarter in which he led by less than 14 points. And that was against Auburn, where they kicked a field goal eight seconds into the fourth quarter to make it a three-score game. <clears throat> so take that for what it is. I love that you remove caveats and things like that. It's really like, no, this is the good stat. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Georgia has led by three scores in every fourth quarter that stetson bennett has been the the starter in right because obviously the clemson game was with jt daniels it's quite different than bama of course who as we always say six of those eight sec games were one score games in the fourth quarter Here is your tell your friends this stat that I dug up here. And I give everyone full permission to use this, either to talk yourself into Bama or if it's a close game late. Just tell them where you got it from. Don't do the pardon my take thing and pretend you came up with this great stat that you just ripped off from somebody on Twitter without crediting them. I love pardon my take, but every single NFL recap pod that they do, my goodness, they have never given credit to anybody. But anyway, separate rant, I guess. Here's your stat. I do love part of my take. I do. I just hate that they do that. Your stat is this season in the fourth quarter Stetson Bennett is six of 10 for 83 yards with one touchdown and one interception on Saturday in the iron bowl. Bryce Young attempted exactly 10 passes on that 97 yard touchdown drive. Bryce Young has as many fourth quarter pass attempts on that drive alone. as Stetson Bennett in the fourth quarter this entire season. If you are live betting this game, that is worth remembering. But of course, there's the pushback, the obvious pushback to that stat. Well, does Georgia even allow Bama to hang around that long? Fair question. If Bama shows up like it did against Auburn or LSU, this game is 28 to nothing at halftime and I don't think that stat matters at all that georgia defensive line will dominate if bama comes out like that and it'll be more of the same from a totally depleted bama rushing attack led by trey sanders with brian robinson banged up dealing with the pulled muscle i don't think bama shows up quite like that i'd be surprised if they came out that flat in this one and that overmatched that team this alabama team rather is finally an underdog first time in six years Since that happened, 2015 against Georgia, that's the last time that Bama was an underdog. And I could totally see a scenario in which the first half is like, wow, this is the Bama team that we've been waiting for. Maybe it's 14 to 14 at the break. And we're like, hey, buckle up. Like this is this is going to be quite the second half here. Maybe Jameson Williams makes a big time play. Will Anderson gets to Stetson Bennett a couple times. Bama fans are feeling like, all right, this is our time. But I think where this one turns is the third quarter. I think Georgia totally flips the script in the third quarter. That's where we've seen Bama not have that key ingredient, that foot on the gas, step on your throat mentality. I think even if George Pickens plays like 10 snaps in this one, I think he makes his presence felt with a long grab early in the second half that really gets Georgia going. And Kobe Dean talked about it on Saturday, how big of an emotional lift it was for that team to get George Pickens back on the field. Just seeing him out there running routes again was a huge lift for that group. Mm-hmm. That third quarter, it, 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 sh- it allows Georgia to flex its muscles. We see why georgia is the best team in the country and why they aren't going to crumble the same way that we've seen them crumble in the past against alabama so instead of going into this the the fourth quarter and it's a one score game and you're throwing out that stat to your friends georgia is up three scores going into the fourth quarter two touchdown win for the dogs 35 21 georgia has never hit 35 points in an sec championship game been there eight times as well Will. Tell me I'm crazy.
2: Well,
1: I get duped every offseason by George Connor. I really do. And so far, it seems like other than that one Jake Fromm year where I just put my foot down in 2019, I was like, no. And then somehow, that, I felt good about that. But every year since, man, uh, even last year for no reason. And I mean, it, the quarterback situation obviously is kind of iffy. I will say this. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot with this stat, but the stat I always go back to is one that you had earlier this year, that Georgia has led for something like 70 or 80% of those it's, games.
0: Um, I think it's 98 minutes and 52 seconds of 180 minutes of football, and Bama has led for like 32 minutes of that time in three games that they've they've faced each other, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban.
1: Yeah, and so basically it they're 0-3, but they've controlled a lot of the games, and just the end has been yep. bad. If your quarterback is Stetson, you feel bad about that. You know what I'm saying? that No matter what is going on outside of this. Now, I will say this. This is objectively, objectively the worst Alabama team we've seen since, like, 2014. Uh, just objectively. Like, they have, like, procedural penalties. Like, things that don't – like, those type of things aren't opinions. That's like a, this doesn't look like a Nick Saban team. Like, if you're scared against Auburn and, you know, Finley – looking like he has dial-up going through his brain, you don't want to see Georgia. I think that you're totally right about the third quarter. I think the th- third quarter determines this game because I've often said this Georgia team makes me think a little bit of 2011 LSU, which, you know, again, one of the best teams that I've ever seen. Les was obviously bad at adjusting. Kirby, at this point in his career, I think is a much better coach than Les Miles was, and hopefully he has that, that ability. We're, we're wondering, really, the, the question of Georgia's season is going to be, will there come a time when Kirby has to go away from Stetson? Will it get to a situation in the fourth quarter where he has to do the two-a switch? I don't know if Alabama has the horses for that. I really don't. Just based on what we've seen this year, maybe they're, maybe Bill O'Brien is saving everything. I, I'd like to see it, but let me, let me ask you this question. How do you think they, they do it containing Will Anderson? Cause that seems like another X factor.
0: It has to be, and if Bama is gonna stay in this game, it's gonna be because Will Anderson is teeing off against Stetson Bennett, and all of a sudden we're like, what were those uh, Will Anderson Heisman odds again? We'll get to that in a a minute here, but I think to to combat Will Anderson, you won these empty back sets, you don't do that against him. You just don't. Mm -hmm. I don't care how good you feel about your tackle spots. You you can't do that against a player of his caliber because he can take over this football game easily. And if he doesn't take over by getting home, he can turn you around, turn you into Phil Mathis. And then all of a sudden you're just like, wow, you're looking at third and 14 Mm -hmm. regularly. Georgia has to avoid that. I don't know if they avoid that with screens. I don't know if they just try and do the thing where they just run the ball right at Will Anderson. That might be the best plan, although he's been really good against the run as well. So maybe that's not the best idea. But I think that he can take a, take over a game of this caliber. I think he's on that level. And that's the biggest question that I have for Stetson Bennett. It's not, what's it going to look like if he tests some of these DBs? Because we've seen them kind of exposed in some of these key moments and the secondary hasn't been quite as good as we thought it was going to be but how does he handle Will Anderson? Because that dude is a monster, and it feels like, it feels like he's gonna be a guy who is going to try and do everything in his power to will Alabama to a win.
1: We, you know, and, and, and this has not been minute side of it, isn't that I or we think he's a bad quarterback. It's just, <laughs> throw back to our Rec Sports podcast, until you're in a moment where you have to actually be in an athletic situation that's new to you, you don't know how it's going to happen. For the, for him, that's the fourth quarter. You know what I'm saying? If he was his same quarterback that he's been all year, just another quarter, I would feel way better about it. It's not that I think he's bad. It's he just doesn't have reps. You know what I'm saying? So, at the end of the day, it's not like I doubt him or I doubt their offense. I will say, you know, the Auburn front looked amazing against... Uh, against Alabama. The LSU front looked amazing against Alabama. The Georgia front is significantly violently better than both of those fronts. And Alabama's run game, I think is definitely in the crosshairs because we've proven that Bryce Young is good enough. I really like that Auburn game was a masterpiece by him, especially late in the game. But if they're one dimensional for an entire game against Georgia, it's gonna be tough. It won't work.
0: Yeah, it won't work. And how many hits does Bryce Young take? Is he getting behind the sticks every single time? because that is not a formula for success. You cannot do that against this defense. That's where they pin their ears back. You're not gonna fool them with the window dressing. You wanna run a screen on third and 13 or something like that. They're they're not gonna be fooled at all. This is a team that is just so unbelievably disciplined and it's gonna be tested against Bryce Young because what Bryce Young has done so well is get out of the pocket and keep his eyes downfield. And in a way, that's kind of why Bill O'Brien really doesn't get more, anything more than criticism for this, um, for the way that this year has played out, even though Bryce Young is a Georgia win away from winning the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that Bill O'Brien needs to call a game of his life. I was trying to think about it for Bill O'Brien and Todd Munkin, offensive coordinators in this game, like, have they ever called a bigger game in their entire careers? And the answer is yes, because Bill O'Brien called plays for Tom Brady in a Super Bowl 10 years ago. I was at that game, Lucas Oil Stadium. Mm-hmm. Ironically enough, the site of this year's College Playoff National Championship. Ooh. Yeah. Nice little connection there. Todd Munkin, also biggest game he ever called 10 years ago. Oklahoma State trying to keep their playoff hopes alive in that game against Oklahoma. Ultimately, did not get to a national, not playoff hopes, rather, but national championship hopes, and they won that game and they dominated, but it didn't ultimately get the Cowboys on that stage because a certain rematch happened, as you know. Well, what was the reason for
1: that?
0: Sorry, sorry. All right, we didn't even. Twenty eleven, Oklahoma
1: State. Oh
0: God, my least favorite team of all time. Anyway. but a big game for both of these coordinators and it, it's going to shape perception mm-hmm. Georgia still has a chance to finish with the best offense in school history, which is nuts. Considering their two leading receivers are Brock Bowers lab McConkey is and their quarterback is Stetson Bennett the fourth lab, right? Lad, like lab lab. It's incredible. And if, if, if we we need to see these coordinators step up and 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 call the game of their lives because that's probably what it'll take to win this game at least that's what it, it seems like going in regardless of, of how these you know these defenses have been perceived in the past in big time games I think this is a just a monumental test for the OCs let's talk about the playoff implications Hold on, this one talk.
1: more thing just just you know we got all season fantasy football it all comes down to this. Let me let me ask you this question just to avoid us, you know, getting cold take as we want to do. If we are sitting here, you know, after this game and saying, "Wow, Alabama like came alive." What do you think that script looks like for Alabama where it's like, "Oh, wow, Georgia looked helpless against Alabama like they have in the past."
0: My guy, my guy Lawrence Butts was te- was texting me about this. Shout out to Lawrence. He was saying how Nobody's really talking about the fact that Kirby has been exposed on the back end with his defense against teams that can spread it out and attack downfield. Mm-hmm. And Deshaun Watson was the first guy who could really do that back when Kirby was the DC at Alabama 2015. I guess wasn't necessarily the first guy because everybody remembers the Ole Miss stuff, but mm-hmm. that's the thing that we were waiting to see this year and we talked about it with Tennessee. and. If that all of a sudden happens again, I'll be stunned. I really will be because if that happens, two things need to happen. It means Georgia's not getting home with its pressure. And it means that the back end guys, Kaylee Ringo, and or, or, you know, we're talking about guys like um, um, Darian Kendrick, the Clemson transfer, those guys are getting beat. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that happens for 60 minutes. James Williams might get one. He might get that one big play but I can't see that being the path. I think if Alabama wins this football game, it's lower scoring. It's kind of muddied up a little bit. Hmm. And Not to say that Bama's running game is gonna do it, but like a 24 to 17 type of game where Georgia's offense just can't get going. Maybe it's a Bama Bama, um, non-offensive touchdown, whether that's a strip sack from Will Anderson, whether it's a, a special teams return or something like that that gets Bama going. Because I just think that doing it for 60 minutes against this defense is a tall, tall order. I don't think that this is gonna be a, like reminiscent of what we saw last year in the Bama-Georgia game, where Georgia all of a sudden in the second half, you're like, this defense just has no chance of stopping Bama. So I think that's a, the most likely formula, but even that I probably wouldn't say is is going to happen on Saturday.
1: It, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly. This To me, I'm, I'm an idiot, but to me, it seems like the best move for Bill O'Brien is just to say, hey, like, I'm going to change my offensive philosophy. I'm gonna go four and five wide and just make these DBs make decisions. It seems like that's the only way that you can beat Georgia. Even if they get pressure, Bryce Young is so immune to pressure. That O line is so bad that it, you're gonna get pressure anyway. If I was if I was him, I'd be studying the heck out of the early part of that Tennessee tape. During the best coach in America, we forget a scripted John Keichel. <laughs> if you just got those extra 15 <laughs> plays after that, I I think that would be Alabama's recipe of success. Is use their athletes on offense against those DBs. Don't make the linebackers. Like, like, don't make it the running back in the offensive line against the linebackers. Make it your receiver four against their DB four.
0: Bill O'Brien just script 60 plays. See, see what happens, man. <laughs> exactly. Just go for it. <laughs> you got to, man. Got nothing to lose. Got nothing to lose except your job. All right. Playoff implications. I'm sticking with what I've been saying for weeks, that Alabama needs that Georgia win to get in. And it would take pure chaos for Bama to get into the field with two losses. More on that in a second. The resume just isn't that good. Again, this the six of eight one score games in the fourth quarter for Alabama. It's it's beyond that, um, in my opinion, because the Ole Miss win it's held up really well. But Bama's second best win is a seven point home win against Arkansas. Mm -hmm. All right, like no disrespect to Arkansas. Arkansas eight and four. They're a fine football team. They're 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 solid. They're going to be playing in a Florida bowl game, but. The selection committee told us the last two weeks mm. that Bama's resume, it needs work and it got moved out of that number two spot in favor of a different one loss team that happened twice, first with Ohio State and then with Michigan on Tuesday night. But on the contrary, if Bama wins, give Bama the one seat, nobody's been able to stay on the field with Georgia. Mm. And if they're a one loss conference champ, no other power five teams can be undefeated. Georgia's the last undefeated power five team. Beating this Georgia team would easily be the best win that any team has had all year. Bama would then have two wins against top 10 teams, including the Ole Miss win as well. So it's kind of, I feel like it's all or nothing for Bama. I really do. I think that's going to be talked about and a lot of people are going to try and look in between the lines, but whatever the case, I think it is win or go home for them. They need to be thinking about it as such. Georgia, on the other hand, I think Georgia's already got that spot locked in, mm-hmm. which means you could be like, hey, where's the motivation for this game? there's a ton of motivation and buddy. Right? But, if you're asking that question you got to pick a different sport yeah, yeah. the obvious thing being uh, the dogs want to get over the hump take bama out of the playoff for w- once and for all that, that's a big part of this if so that happens me, you don't want to play alabama twice that's my one piece of advice no. to all of you don't do it <laughs> if georgia beats bama i can't wait to see georgia's national championship odds what they change to mm-hmm. because they're at minus 250 right now I think if they beat Bama they're like minus 750 is that crazy I mean they're going to be an overwhelming favorite if they're able to get through this game but there is a ton of value in getting that number 1 seed because there's a really strong chance that you're going to face a team who has minimal playoff experience and or they're outside of the top 10 in the 247 sports talent composite why is that significant you ask 2015 Clemson is the only team to win a playoff game who is outside of the top 10 in the 247 sports talent composite. Mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson, everybody's heard of him. He might've had something to do with that. None of these non-Alabama contenders have some great equalizer at quarterback to overcome that lack of talent. So if it's Georgia or Bama, who I think that's that's who the one seed is being decided between, those, those two teams. I don't think even if Michigan s- just stomps all over Iowa, I don't think Michigan gets the one seed. So if it's Georgia or Bama, that one seed is going to be just a huge favorite in the semifinal. Any thoughts on that before we get to some Heisman stuff?
1: All right, so basically, and you've stuck with this all year, but uh, hey, we got, this is to the point that you essentially called it at. You don't think that if Georgia wins on a walk-off, you know, one-point
0: field goal, you don't think Bama can get in? No, Um, no. Um, So, I'll just go to the the playoff. My playoff prediction is is chalk, it's boring. It's Georgia, one, Michigan, two, Oklahoma State, three, Cincinnati, four. Mm -hmm. So, if those teams win, I think it's pretty clear. You have a one-loss Power 5 champ, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati undefeated with that win against Notre Dame that has aged so well in the selection committee <laughs> putting them at number 4 in consecutive weeks, and then if Michigan takes care of business against Iowa, boom, one-loss Power 5 champ. Who's who's getting into the field there? Like who's who's Bama hurtling to get into the field because they're 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 sitting right there right next to Cincinnati, all right? Like yeah. even if they look good against Georgia, if Cincinnati wins that football game, and beats Houston, a Houston team that's in the top twenty-five right now. I think they get the benefit of the doubt. Now, where it gets interesting is if Bama, if not not necessarily for Bama, but if Bama if Bama wins, the conversation that we have is well, what happens to Cincinnati, right? Like that's that's what everybody wants to know. Could they be bypassed in this game? Could we see then because Georgia and Bama would be in, and then Michigan and Oklahoma State probably would Oklahoma State leapfrog Cincinnati, probably. Probably, and that's a that's a weird thing to say. I, coin flip at best, probably for the Bearcats. They they would love to see Oklahoma State lose or bamboo lose. One of those two things happens, and Cincinnati's feeling good about their their situation. Um, have you seen the Herb Street parlay? It's not a parlay, but it's the chaos scenario that he threw out there. Mm-mm. This is nuts. <laughs> so it's basically Georgia wins, but then Iowa beats Michigan, Houston beats Cincinnati. Baylor beats Oklahoma State. And he's not predicting this. He just threw this out there as a very fun hypothetical to look at. But you would have Georgia at one. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I don't know, <laughs> Notre Dame at two. Uh, maybe Notre Dame probably sneaks in and then actually I think Baylor would sneak in and become the first two-loss team because if they were to beat Oklahoma State, they would have three wins against the top 15, including that BYU win. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about those three and then maybe that's the path for Bama as a two-loss team to make the field because I don't think a one-loss group of five team makes it, even though Cincinnati would have the head-to-head advantage against Notre Dame, Notre Dame making the playoff would be Hilarious!
1: Oh, dude, incredible. I am
0: so incredible. In
1: on like ghost chip, no interim head coach, Notre Dame making it in, like, and especially because that would just count as a playoff period for Brian Kelly. Uh, so, because uh, they have no conference championship <laughs> they game, they haven't played any more games. So, like, point being, like, I, I'm so like, we all need to just root against Oklahoma State as much as I love Mike Gundy because I need to see who that next team is so badly.
0: <laughs> and they, when they do like the playoff pictures, when it's the two coaches shaking hands and like the you know the and they do more so for the national championship than they do for the semifinal matchups. But if we had those pictures for the semifinal and it's just one coach and then like a blank spot for Brian
1: Kelly. What shit park? Just like one of those like who's that Pokemon <laughs> outlines where it's like a human being like like me character. <laughs> oh
0: we we need that. We need that. But yeah, I mean then you hear Gary Barta say that not having a coach could factor into their decision, which would be the selection committee turning into the NCAA. <laughs> yes, good idea. Punish the kids who had nothing to do with that decision. Really, really smart. Right. If that happens, yo, Irish fans should be livid if they get left out of the playoff because their head coach left for another job. I don't think it'll come down to that. But any any spicy playoff predictions that you have for for sunday and by the way we're going to record after those playoff rankings come out on sunday
1: um i'm i'm you know i after that whole segment i will say i do think georgia beats bama and and, and honestly for kirby's sake i hope it's pretty decisive and it's a big one and they stay at one uh an underratedly funny scenario too would be if bama barely beats georgia and we get number one seed michigan with Jim Harbaugh? We're,
0: no, no, Buddy. that's not going to happen. You think that's this year
1: happen. you can tell me definitively? I mean, that Ohio State win. If Bama
0: beats th- Georgia, no, no, no. Bama beats Georgia, that one seed is Bama's.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Because here's here's the thing. Beating Georgia is, is the ultimate feather in your cap right now. Beating Iowa... Iowa sucks, man. My, I got my Iowa buddies that know how much their team sucks. They beat Northwestern by five. Yeah. All right. My brother's been ta- telling me this for, for a while. Even after Notre not Notre Dame, even after Iowa beat Penn State and Iowa's number two in the country, my brother had his friends texting him, this team like could easily lose next week to Purdue. And they lost next
1: week to I'm, Purdue. I'm just saying, <laughs> Michigan beat the number two team in the country.
0: I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying, Bama would be beating the number one team in the I, country. Those two, that would be very interesting resumes. That's actually
1: something that I'm interested. in I'm not going to tell you one way or the other because yeah, I I do think that the or, the, the Michigan State one would be better than the A and M one. But you would think with Saban and Bama, it, they'd probably jump them up there. But I'm just saying,
0: Jim Harbaugh is the one. Or dying. the losses. The, the, yeah, the Michigan State loss versus yeah, the A yeah, yeah, loss. Yeah, 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 I,
1: yeah. J, Like Jim Harbaugh's just got to be sitting there just chugging the milk, having a great time because yeah, like their championship oh, yeah. game. Hopefully, you never know with Jim Harbaugh, but hopefully their championship game will be a joke. They can wrap that up and just watch chaos
0: yeah i think we i think we see that play out and it would not surprise me at all to see a relatively chalky finish to the playoff and the selection committee just has nothing really to do late on saturday night when they're pretending to watch football and they just get to get into a room on sunday and stare at each other napping That'll with newspapers
1: on top of them <laughs> that's
0: what they do <laughs> Pretended like they stayed up all night crunching the numbers oh, yeah. sure. All right. all right all right let's talk heisman real quick here hmm Weird, weird year for the award. Bryce Young isn't a boring candidate. And a lot of people want to paint him as that. And I don't think that's necessarily fair to him because I could find you some boring Heisman winners. Troy Smith, Gino Toretta, all right, like... We've had boring in the Heisman Trophy before. What's crazy is that once upon a time, the idea of a second year player winning the award was impossible. Then Tebow happens in 2007, Mm -hmm. Johnny Manziel became the first redshirt freshman to win it, Jameis Winston the year after, blah, blah, blah. And that's technically what Bryce Young is, by the way, also trying to become the first Alabama quarterback to ever win the Heisman, which seems impossible given the last half decade that they've had at the position. The odds right now tell us two things. One is that if Bryce Young wins on Saturday and leads Alabama to a victory against Georgia, the award is his. But also, if he doesn't, this can go in a few ways, because the last time that someone won the Heisman after losing in the conference championship game, Jason White, Oklahoma, 2003. Back then, oh, I think a that lot of that was the voters, Darren Sproles game! I remember that! Yes. Darren Sproles shredded them with Kansas State. This was mm-hmm. a blowout game, and Jason White by the hairs on his little chinny chin chin, was able to hold on to the Heisman Trophy. Managed to not get drafted after that. Well, he came back and then didn't get drafted, but still weird year nonetheless. I, I think back in 2003, though, a lot of voters filled out their ballots when they got them before yep. a conference championship week, in which th- that was wasn't really a thing in the same sort of way. Jason White barely beat out Larry Fitzgerald that year. I don't know how many voters in the year 2021 fill out their Heisman ballots as soon as they get it. They got them on Monday. So they could theoretically do that. I don't get why they do that. That's such a an archaic approach, in my opinion. And you're inviting problems by giving them these ballots on Monday when, just wait till after, after conference championship weekend, all right? Like, you've got time to tally the votes here. We, we can figure this out. Even though the process is bloated and too many people have votes, I don't, I wish. but. We can still figure out a way to count these things out and not necessarily even have that on the table, but whatever. Hold on. That's so like the ultimate that, like
1: dad at the airport situation because like most of these guys are like older guys. Like, dude, I got I got my ballot on Monday. What if they lose in the mail? I got to fill this out now so I can request another one. <laughs> that's inviting I chaos. I a
0: paper ticket. What's up? I don't like having a paper ticket at the airport. Don't give me that. They can always print one out for you right there at your gate. You don't need that. I'm with just, you. Yeah. Just... Just get it get it on your device here. Not to sound like too much of a millennial here, but just get it on your device. Don't worry about that paper ticket that you're eventually going to lose anyways. That, if, they, if they do have a lot of people that vote pre-conference championship weekend, you would think that would benefit CJ Stroud of all people, or at the very least, I would think it would take some votes away from Bryce Young unless some voters are like, ah, we don't want to hold Georgia against him, which would be okay, I guess, considering how much of an outlier they are from a defensive standpoint if Bryce young isn't on the winning side of the sec championship, but has a big game against Georgia the award, very likely his the bar to exceed is very low for what we expect. Given what, what Georgia defense has done this year, there will be a healthy debate, but it'll probably still be his, but what if he's held to like, 14 or 17 points and he's running for his life. After last week with that offensive line, we could definitely see that happening again. We outlined that scenario. That's why I I don't like his odds going into the weekend. Hopefully you got your Bryce Young odds at a much different time when you were getting plus money. But here are the the top 10 in the, the FanDuel odds. Bryce Young is at minus 220, CJ Stroud plus 450, Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan defensive end, at plus 1600, so that's 16 to one on your money, and then Matt Corral plus 2000, Kenny Pickett plus 2000, Kenneth Walker plus 2500, Will Anderson plus 3000, Jordan Davis and Sam Hartman are both at plus 8000, and then Jack Cohn, Desmond Ritter, Spencer Sanders, and even one Stetson Bennett the fourth are plus 10,000, so they're 100 to one, probably not gonna hit, but they're still up there. The dip, the drop off between Young and Stroud, Young, Stroud and then everybody else, it suggests that it's a two horse race and that Bryce Young getting stymied is the only thing that can prevent him from not winning the Heisman Trophy or prevent him from winning it, rather. Mm-hmm. But if Bama loses, like, 28 to 14 aiden hutchinson has three sacks michigan wins the big 10 championship that game afterwards on saturday nights yeah you never know could we see a a primary defensive player win the award for the first time because charles woodson he's considered the only primary defensive player ever although he played on offense as well and special teams so i don't know if you really count him but i still think you're not winning the award if you're sitting at home this week Mm -hmm. I, i just I think this favors the person who gets the last laugh. And if I'm like thinking to myself, I oh, just, you know what? I want to have a little bit of skin in the game. Maybe put 10 bucks on someone going into this weekend. Kenny Pickett at 20 to one is interesting. If I close my eyes, I see a shootout with Pitt and Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Pickett is six touchdowns away from hitting 50 total scores this year. So what if he did that? Leading Pitt to an ACC championship, Pat Narduzzi gets up there on the podium. He bangs the drum for Kenny Pickett. Very Pat Narduzzi-like thing to do. That would be, but twenty-to-one odds—that that's that to me is a fun, really interesting flyer. Speaking of that, unless you got, do you have Heisman thoughts? Am, am I crazy to think that twenty-to-one is is pretty decent value for Kenny Pickett?
1: I no, I think that's super. I, I think I think you're spot on with all that. I mean, I would say I. Hey man, like I said, we've I I'm a self described Bama hater, but penalizing Bryce Young for playing in the conference championship game was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. If, if yeah, Str- weird. If Stroud is not playing because he lost every game that counted, and like not a, like Michigan stopped him, bro. Like at the end of the day, Michigan obviously their offense did their thing and their their like run game did their thing, but we kept waiting. To like never count out these receivers, and boy did they get counted out. So yeah, I, I think that. And like another thing, really quick, just about Bryce Young. It's like, dude, if you think Bryce Young's boring, you haven't watched that dude play. I we were talking about this during the Auburn game. It's like this is the hardest an Alabama quarterback has worked. I, uh, I don't know, maybe since like second year Jalen Hurts type of situation where like things were just kind of hard for him for a different reason. But like point being like, I, if you watch him play, it's like it's like he's a like spy or something. It's like the whole offense is conspiring against him and he's still just balling his ass off. And like, I'm just, I'm impressed by it in a way. Like to me personally, just to me personally, watching like two or three wide open guys was not interesting. Bryce Young's interesting. You watch him play and like, you're like, oh wow, like his receiver just got a targeted call. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> like, this is not, this is almost not fair to him when this game is playing out. It's wild.
0: I, I, I if I'm picking today, Bryce Young would be my guest to win the award, but I just keep coming back to that picket thing. Yes. Very, very interesting. So speaking of that, lock of the week. If you noticed, I skipped last week. <laughs> Your boy needed a week off. I wasn't really feeling the board. That'll be my excuse (laughs) or maybe falling short of covering by about four touchdowns had me messed up. I mean, I don't know if you, if I can't trust Joe Moorhead, who can I really trust? (laughs) That's what this comes down to, Mm -hmm. but we're back and we're going to come back with a vengeance this week because I am buying the Kenny Pickett hype. Okay. I think over the, over the course of the next five months, The Kenny Pickett QB1 narrative is going to really take off because right now it's a little bit all over the place. A little bit of Malik Willis, maybe some Matt Corral, not really that consensus just yet. Go figure that as as much as I love Malik and Corral, I I really think the Pickett narrative is going to take off. Never doubt the Manning endorsement that he has from that family, which Mm -hmm. um, we heard every two seconds that was mentioned on the broadcast during that Pitt, Tennessee game a couple of months ago, whole lot of Kenny Pickett is, is a big time guy in the Manning household and they really love him and believe in him in the next level um, a little bit more serious now that we'll, we'll take that. So as far as this weekend, that Wake Forest defense is bad. They're sorry to bring back an old term. They are sorry. The mm-hmm. over under for this game is 72 and a half. There's gonna be a ton of points scored in the ACC championship. That's That's also a lot of points Like you're basically saying like hey, who do you think is gonna win this game? Because it's the line is Pitt minus two in minus two and a half So if I think Pitt's gonna win this game Which I guess I'm just going all in with Pitt this weekend Kenny Pickett and Heisman stuff and Pitt winning an ACC championship. I guess I'm just saying yeah, give me that I'll I'll gladly um, give that two and a half away um, but yeah, that's uh that's what well, that's what I'm gonna hang my hat on. And maybe if I don't get Lock of the Week this week I I just take the playoff uh po and postseason off, just punt on the rest of it. it's, it's lock- been, a, been a little bit rough last month here.
1: Lock of the week has very Kirk Cousins vibes. You know, whenever it's under oh, five hundred, yeah. it like fights very hard to get back above it. <laughs> it's above it gets under. But yeah. No, one game below right now. This is this is why. We are Clemson haters in the SEC right here. This ACC title game, it's a—it's uh, over under 72. Two super flawed teams. This isn't Clemson beating Miami or whoever by 50 points, as they have in the past. This is like a good football game. It's going to be interesting. This is, like I said, you know what I'm saying? Let's just move Clemson to the Big Ten so we can watch this every year.
0: Let's do it. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Let's go to my interview with my guy, Brad Crawford, South Carolina fans should know Brad well, but Brad has been crushing it over at 247 sports for some like five years now. And those who are OG readers of SDS know, uh, that Brad was one of our OG writers Mm -hmm. as well. When I first came to our company back in 2015, Brad and, and Chris Stoney, they were, they were my two guys and it was a very, very different time at SDS, but Brad and I always saw eye to eye on things. So let's kick it to my guy, Brad Crawford. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is one of my favorite people in this business, my former SDS colleague, who has been crushing it at 247 Sports for years now, Brad Crawford. Brad, let's let's start with the news that you personally broke the other day. Before we, We'll do that before we get to some bull stuff here. Shane Beamer is a legit candidate at Oklahoma. Tell us what you know about this situation and if you could see this really happening.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. Here we are, you know, Wednesday afternoon, Monday, I reported that Shane Beamer was a prime candidate at OU. Um, Based on sources I spoke to close to Shane and close to Oklahoma, he is high on the center's list, and I I think it will come down to Shane Beamer, Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables, Carolina Panthers coach Matt Rule, who has sort of entered this mix in the final hour, and then Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning, who likely – is the Broyles Award winner for the Bulldogs this season. So, um, obviously, it's a major hire for Oklahoma. You know, who didn't expect, you know, Sunday morning all Oklahoma fans woke up and saw the news that Lincoln Riley was headed to USC. So, quite a shock, uh, quite a major job opening. And South Carolina right now certainly is worried that if Shane Beamer gets an extended offer from Oklahoma, in my opinion, he would accept.
0: That's a crazy thing to think about. And I don't think that was very much off the radar for not just Oklahoma fans but South Carolina fans, of course, too. I mean, he was getting a raise either way. I thought that was going to happen with getting to that six win mark. And with all the places that he has worked at, I think even if this doesn't happen with Oklahoma, it's going to continue to happen if he does his job well, which I guess that's a good problem to have. If you're South Carolina, you know this program as well as anyone. How do you evaluate the job that he did in year one in Columbia? Yeah, you know,
2: Shane has said several times, man, that, you know, on the record, South Carolina is his dream job. And that's that's a phrase I don't think he uses lightly. Um, I mean, I do know those close to him are a little bit worried that if OU did, in fact, come calling, and like I said, an offer was extended, he'd take that job. But, I mean, I think Shane is happy where he is in his first coaching job, and, you know, by, by all accounts, he exceeded expectations in year one. When you look at South Carolina's roster, I mean, that, that's probably a three-to-four win team, which is where Vegas oddsmakers uh, had the Gamecocks this season. And, you yep. know, they, they finished 6-6, six and six, uh, had some good wins. So Shane Beamer going to a bowl game in his first season. And I, I think if you ask any Gamecock fan, booster, or anybody closely tied to that program, man, uh, Beamer did a heck of a job in year one.
0: Gamecocks are on the the low end of the totem pole for for bowl game in the SEC. One thing that you are always on top of are, are these bowl projections. I remember when I moved down here to Orlando and I saw how passionate you were about that subject. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I didn't I didn't realize this was a real thing that people wanted to read about. Like I, I now six years later, everyone has bowl projections. I mean, if you're a publication without them, it's like what what are you doing? You you should be. Let's start with South Carolina there is it pretty much a lock that Gamecock fans are going to have to freeze their butts off in Birmingham?
2: Yeah. If I remember right, man, back in 2014 or 15 at Saturday down South, we were one of the only sites that had weekly updated bowl projections. And, you know, here we are six or seven years later in the business and everybody has them. I think you're right, man. It's something that really sparks interest this time of year, everybody making travel destinations for, you know, before and after Christmas. But I'm getting to your question. I, I, I've got South Carolina in the Liberty Bowl against West Virginia, Big Twelve opponent. Um, based on everybody I've, I've talked to with these bowls, uh, you know, Liberty Bowl or Birmingham, in my opinion, would be the destination for the Gamecocks. Uh, I will say this: though, so something very interesting. Bowl committees have been more willing to speak to me in, in previous years than this one. I don't know if it's a post-COVID; they don't know what's going on exactly, or you know, ESPN kind of controls where these teams go, but. Um, I do think the Gamecocks are going to get in one of those lower-tier bowls in the SEC, and either Liberty Bowl or Birmingham.
0: That's that's what I like about all of your breakdowns that you've been doing for for years now. Is that you not only are the person who can look at records and be like, "Oh, hey, this team is slotted here, this team is slotted there," like you actually talk to people, and this is something that is discussed because that's the way that the bowl process works. And one of the things that I saw in your in your latest bowl projections is you did the uh, the, the the explanation of. The Big Ten and SEC and the way that it relates to the Dukes-Mayo Bowl and the Las Vegas Bowl. Because every SEC fan just wants to know, when do I get to go to Vegas for a bowl game? And this is the, the Big Ten's year for Vegas, which means that there's... Also, a chance that we see an SEC team dump a Gatorade cooler full of mayo on a head coach. I'm not saying that it's definitely going to happen, but never say never. You've got Auburn going to the Dukes Mayo Bowl, that game being played in Charlotte. Would they have the ability to actually pick a different six and six team, like a local South Carolina? Or is that something where very likely they're gonna they're gonna end up with a team like Auburn?
2: I think they certainly could take the Gamecocks. You know, a lot of Gamecock fans on Twitter are sort of vouching for that. Charlotte's about an hour and a half drive from Columbia. Um, you know, they did not sell out that bowl, however. I think it was back in 2018 when it was UVA versus South Carolina. UVA shut the Gamecocks out in that game. And that's really a venue, man, the Panther Stadium that Gamecock fans are accustomed to. You know, there seems like once every two years the Gamecocks play an non conference maybe season opener-type game there. Uh, Mayo Bowl is certainly in the picture, but... I just want to see it. One of, the, one of the weirdest things this bowl season for the SEC is, you know, where is a team like LSU going at at six and six? Mm-hmm. You know, LSU became the thirteenth eligible SEC team, new record for the league. And you know, based on what I've been told, there's going to be twelve teams that get these, you know, twelve tie-ins for the SEC, which leaves LSU out. So that's going to take a six and six G five team like a Tulsa or somebody and probably a uh, them from eligibility. So. Um, by, by my count right now, there's 83 bowl eligible teams for 82 slots, and the SEC getting 13 in was certainly something unexpected uh, nationwide.
0: That's what I was going to ask you about. Is like, is there any chance that one of those six and six SEC teams—Auburn, Florida, LSU, South Carolina—gets left out? Because I, I know we talk about the big markets and whatnot, but it's also hey does your team actually want to be there i think it's something that bowl executives take seriously and if they feel like they got a team full of ros- full of guys that are that are transferring on their way out it seems like we're we're seeing a lot of guys transfer out at a place like auburn who knows with those new coaching staffs at florida and lsu there could be some roster turnover there like does does that factor into it like is there any chance in which one of these sec teams at six and six looks disinterested to these bowl executives and they end up getting left out as a six and six team
2: yeah, I think ESPN and the entire bowl picture is is somewhat money hungry. I don't I don't see a SEC team uh, not playing next month in a bowl game unless Florida or um, LSU, you know, with, with new coaching staffs, maybe contacts ESPN and the SEC and tells them, look, we don't. You can you can give that spot to a Tulsa or a Middle Tennessee at six and six. You know, we'll we'll stay home for the holidays. But you know, uh, something that's always misconstrued during bowl season the last couple of years is you know you. You read stories, Connor, about how games pick based on geography and how many fans are going to show up. Um, ESPN has control of, I think, 90% of, of bowl games now and pretty much every SEC tie in um, outside of the New Year's Six. So, you know, they, they kind of determine with these schools and the conference where these teams go. And look, I mean, LSU and the Independence Bowl is, is going to get, you know, better viewers the day after Christmas than, you know, Middle Tennessee and Tulsa would. So, as as long as florida lsu some of these 6 and 6 scc teams still want to play during you know bowl season i think we're going to see them
0: For the last month, Arkansas fans have been like, please, let's just get to a bowl game in Florida. (laughs) I would think that Tuesday's ranking, number 22 in the playoff bowl, that would all but lock that in. Ranked ahead of Kentucky and Texas A&M, it feels like those three are Citrus Bowl, Outback Bowl, Gator Bowl. Those three bowls all played here in the Sunshine State. You've got Arkansas in the Outback Bowl, Kentucky in the Citrus, and then A&M in the Gator Bowl. I was there in 2018 when Kentucky won that game in Orlando in the Citrus Bowl. They have the first choice once the New Year's Six Bowls are decided. That that goes to the Citrus Bowl. And and those are the, the, you know, and for those who don't know, New Year's Six, that's top 12 teams in the final playoff rankings. That's the way that it's slotted. They don't even have that say. They have the tie in, but it's all based on that top 12. Isn't it possible that the Citrus Bowl decides? They want some new blood in that game, and they go with like Arkansas or A&M instead of Kentucky.
2: Yeah, the the Citrus Bowl is is one of those games, Connor, that um, really has not reached back out to me, uh, unlike most years. And I really think that this season, nine and three Kentucky, you know, might get skipped over for eight win Arkansas, eight win A&M. I will say the way the Aggies ended the season, you know, that's that's why I don't have Texas A&M projected in that bowl. What you know, while I do think A&M fans would obviously. Enjoy New Year's in Orlando. Arkansas is a team that, like you said, you know has not been in a bowl game in a while. Had a really good season in year two under Sam Pittman, and really has a hungry fan base right now that you know would would love to see them, you know, win one of those big bowl games. But yeah, right now I've I've got Arkansas versus West and in Tampa in the Outback Bowl, and then Kentucky, you know, playing in the Citrus Bowl. But certainly those, those teams could be interchangeable.
0: I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but I would worry about A&M with those opt-outs too. Man, they have so many guys, especially on that defense who are like, you just expect they're gonna be in the NFL, pretty high draft picks as well, and playing in a non-New Year's Six Bowl, that that could be something that I would worry about and watching kind of that roster turnover there. Um, With Ole Miss, Correct me if I'm wrong here. If Alabama wins and makes the playoff, Ole Miss goes to the Sugar Bowl, but if Alabama misses the playoff, it'll likely stay ranked ahead of Ole Miss because of the convincing head-to-head advantage, which would mean Bama to the Sugar Bowl and Ole Miss to the Fiesta Bowl. Did I get that right?
2: That's correct. Sugar Bowl takes the SEC's second-place team, but as it works this year, they, they also sort of have a free reign over that choice if there's, you know, a Alabama available after the playoffs are picked. So, I mean, I... I like Alabama, Baylor in that Sugar Bowl game. You know, second place SEC team versus the um, who I who I've deemed as the Big 12 champion, and then Ole Miss of the Peach just just makes sense. Um, you know, not not too long of a trip to Atlanta against likely ACC champion Wake Forest. So I mean, heck of a job Lane Kiffin did this season, winning 10 games regular season for the first time in program history. So um, certainly Ole Miss is a lock for the New Year's Six and Bama is as well.
0: Yeah, I would wonder too uh, with the Peach Bowl, and we know the fine people over there and Gary Stoken, we've had him on the podcast a ton, but if there's any sort of concern at all that he would have about Ole Miss with the way that fans didn't really show up for that season opener, maybe a little bit of a yeah. different set of circumstances with it being a New Year's Six Bowl coming off of the regular season that they've had, but we'll kind of wait and see on that. Um, Brad, You do these projections on a a weekly basis. It doesn't have to be just the SEC to answer this question, but is there a dream matchup you're thinking about? And tell me why it's Matt Corral against Kenny Pickett in the Peach Bowl.
2: Yeah, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett would be awesome. Um, I would be worried, however, Connor, you know, is is Matt Corral going to play during bowl season? I think he is, you know, based on trying to win. Yeah, I mean, 11 wins would be, you know, monumental for that program. And, um Matt's obviously a first round guy though, so I think it'll be interesting too that this is probably gonna be a, a bowl season really the next week and a half where we start seeing so many opt outs that it's it's gonna be head spinning. Um last season I wanna say we had upwards of maybe four dozen opt outs, somewhere around fifty opt outs. We could probably have maybe seventy five this season based on what I've heard. So um hopefully bowl season, you know, keeps its integrity and you know, some of our game's best players show their faces next month, but um. Yeah, I would. I would be a little bit worried that Matt Corral does not play in the Peach Bowl.
0: He said he's playing. He, he said he's playing after the Egg Bowl. I hope he Yeah, you know, maybe sometimes. Yeah, like I. I think of of all people, kind of given the way that he's he's kind of gone about this, I'd I'd be surprised yeah. if, if he didn't end up playing. But you're right. I mean, with any of these first round guys, maybe his, you his kind agent of never has know. not
2: spoken to him yet.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, a lot of these agents, especially now with NIL, who can actually get in there and speak to these guys ahead of time, I'm sure yep. that they will, uh, they, will, they will be talking to a lot of their clients. Brad, I, I want to give you the floor here on a non-Bull subject. You nail a ton of your preseason projections. You, you do. But one thing you admittedly whiffed on, the KJ Jefferson ranking among SEC quarterbacks. I remember we were texting that day and you're like, man, how did the, I know I was going to oh, oh, uh,
2: get hit with this <laughs> one? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Tell, all right, so tell, tell our listeners what exactly happened with that.
2: Okay, so K.J. didn't play a ton last year. Obviously, he had a four or five-game sample size that I, I watched every snap, thought he was a pretty good quarterback. And I mentioned in the preseason that really the SEC's 7 through 14, the, the back half of the league, was pretty much interchangeable, and it was like you know throwing darts at a board to try to guess which quarterback would be good, bad, mediocre, vice versa. You know, looking at Arkansas' schedule this season, I think everybody would agree that it was the toughest in college football. I did, I did not see the Razorbacks winning eight games. I, I had them 6-6 six and six getting to a bowl game, and I just did not see K.J. being really the star quarterback and, and one of the best players on that team outside of Terlin Burks. But, man, hats off to K.J. He proved me wrong. Um, next season he's going to be a maybe maybe a top-two quarterback in the conference, in my opinion, and I think he'll be happy, Razorback fans in, in general, with my postseason SEC quarterback rankings next week.
0: Oh, KJ going to be number. Let me let me guess it here. Let me guess because uh, I would think that Young, Corral, and Rogers have to be top three. And then where it gets interesting after is KJ versus Hooker for that fourth spot. Do you have KJ at four?
2: That's correct. I would I would have KJ at four, and it, and Dang. it's and it's close. It's it's almost top three because you know not not only did he uh, lead with his arm. I think he had twenty one touchdowns, three picks. Which Sam Pittman says all the time. You know we need a guy who gets us in the right situation and does not turn the ball over. And he did a great job of that this season.
0: Yeah, KJ's been been fun to watch. He's he's really developed too with the legs, and, I, and that was the thing that I was I was admittedly way off on coming in this year. I remember talking to, to to Will about it and saying, "Look, I I don't think KJ going to be that guy. I think he's a little bit statuesque, and I, I don't think he necessarily is going to provide that throw with his legs." But he's he's for sure proving me wrong. That, that's the type of thing though that when we had our old offices here in Orlando that we would have probably debated together and we would have kind of gone back and forth. And especially like it was so all over the place coming into this year. Like I I miss that that stuff sometimes. I think it's kind of helpful. I I know personally, like sometimes when I come up with some of these rankings that we have to do, I'm like, I wish I could just kind of bounce this off of a couple people. And I'm not saying (laughs) that you want to do that or anything like that. But one of the things that we also used to talk about, we used to talk a lot of country music, Brad. And I remember we got into a debate about whether Sam Hunt was actually country. I didn't think he was, but I'll admit it, his new his new song 23 is actually pretty catchy. We criticize Sam Hunt a lot, but uh you're a big Luke Combs guy. Who besides him are your uh, your go-tos right now?
2: Yeah, so so I was a Sam Hunt fan back in like 2015 because Savannah my, my wife introduced me to him and you know, we we saw him in Orlando before he became a megastar. And now he's that that luster's kind of worn off for me, but I mean Eric Church is always a classic. Um, John Cooper knows about that, and yeah. like you said, man, Luke Combs—he's he's from North Carolina, my my home state. I think he's from the Boone area near Appalachian State, and man, he just spits out hit after hit. And you know he he kind of co-writes most of his songs, and that's that's always impressive to me too. You know if you know you don't you don't have a hit song churner if you know if you're somebody that kind of co-writes your own stuff that's that's always a plus in my book and and i'm still a mega tim mcgraw fan i know he's old and over the hill but i still like his music
0: tim's good live too really really good very live. good I mean, live. He's very good live like one of those guys where he's not gonna bring the same sort of energy that maybe he did like 20 years ago i'm sure and i didn't see him 20 years ago but having seen i'll him tell you somebody who's times, not he's...
2: good live uh, toby keith Oh,
0: he's the worst. He, he's terrible. He's terrible.
2: Uh, yeah, so, I've seen him twice, and I swear he was drunk both times.
0: Oh, same same exact thing. I was like, this dude by by the latter half of his set can't even spit out a coherent word. And like, I get it; it's part of the gig. And you're Red Solo Cup guy. I get it; that's your stick. But Luke Combs, he's he's got a Red Solo Cup this entire time. He's not slurring his words by the end of it. Like, I yeah, I could not agree with you more. The song that I can't get out of my head right now is uh Dirks' new one beers on me i have you have you heard that one because i think it's my favorite on the radio right now
2: yeah with uh it's that's uh he sings that with someone else too right it's like with a- uh hardy
0: and then i'm, I'm blanking right. on the on the third guy that he's got in that he's got in there at the end
2: yep. that yeah
0: is a that's, good song. that's catchy very very catchy uh and are you i, I gotta ask this before we get off air I, whatever uh People that don't listen to country music probably skipping through this part. That's okay. Are you a Chris Stapleton guy now, as a as a member of the Beard Gang? I mean, you two, like, you guys could be confused for each other on a given day. Yeah, Chris's day beard is face. kind.
2: Yeah, but his his beard is kind of scraggly, man. My mine's always neat, the same length. His looks like something like a a wilder beast would have on his chin, you know. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I you know real. my yeah. Savannah would not let me have a, a wispy looking beard like that. It's, it's got to be thick and neat, or i I got to shave it off.
0: <laughs> Brad, this has been great, man. We'll do it again sometime soon. Uh, hopefully, not to break down a South Carolina head coach vacancy. Sound good?
2: Hope not, man. Appreciate it, buddy. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one.
0: Bold and Brash, SEC Championship Edition. So many great responses from the Facebook group, Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. If you have not joined that yet, you absolutely should. We we are not going to get to all these responses, and I apologize if I did not get to yours, but so, so many good ones. So let's just dig right into this. Andy Goins, he predicts that Georgia has 10 sacks. And with that offensive line, and then I asked him how many for Jordan Davis? He said zero, but he facilitates all of them even when he's on the sideline for third downs because even then he commands a double team. Yep. Agree with that 100%. Would not be surprised to see Georgia rack up those sack numbers in this game if Bama doesn't figure some things out, especially on the right side. Um, Let's go to this one from Michael Dark. He says... Alabama gets shut out and I get so drunk that I sing Dixieland Delight on the CFU voicemail line.
1: (laughs) Love that. Absolutely love that. Listen, Dixieland delight's a great song. I'll say it. I I hate to admit it. It's a fun song, man. It's, It's a bop, as the kids say. And it's not even about Alabama. So, like, who cares?
0: Do you sing sober in public? Oh, I mean, not well see. Media Days is the only time I've ever dared sing in public. The only karaoke experience I've ever had. Not, you know, I think I was only two or three PPRs deep. Not, not tanked or anything like that, but, you know, loosen up a little bit. I'm not that guy. I don't, I don't, I'll never be that guy. You gotta know your
1: speed, bro. I like to sing a little bit of International Harvester sometimes. Anyway.
0: It's a great song. It's a great <laughs> song. Jamie Malazzo says Alabama's backup quarterback comes in to win the game for Alabama. If Paul Tyson comes in <laughs> and wins this game, is Paul Tyson still officially QB two at Alabama? He got benched as the holder last week after the botched hold. So dude, that would be the most, I don't want to assume anything time. there. If um, that dude came in after getting devoted as a holder and like just talking about a that, Oh boy. They're going to be just so unbelievably limited. Maybe Jalen Milroe is considered the backup now. I I honestly have no idea, but this feels like a, a game in which you would hope your starting quarterback stays in one piece. Because if that doesn't happen, then Bama's backup options are not very good. Will you cut out for a brief second? Where I think I think that was on, that was on my end here. We're we're good though, right? We're back. Connor with the with the Finley Internet man. <laughs> Let's go get it. Buck Jordan, he says boldest Alabama wins, the best Georgia skull drags Bama. Skull dragging would be 21 points or more, I think. Yeah. Right? Like, there's there's a line. Anything is going to feel monumental for Georgia. Georgia is not caring about style points this weekend. They don't have to, they shouldn't. Skull dragging is beating them so badly that this is like oh more reminiscent of twenty eighteen national championship with Bama and Clemson. That's a skull dragging. And I've been skull dragged Bama. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, oh yeah I don't know, I know. what that line is. People forget but, about um, the twenty eighteen national championship, but not me. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know if I don't know if Bama's is getting on that stage and losing like that anytime soon, but you know, never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe skull dragging is dominating the total yards advantage, like Dan Mullen probably. That's considers. two wins. People forget there's
1: the win on, you know there's the win, then there's the the, the total yards advantage.
0: But there's also the loss to Oklahoma last year, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, we Dan Mullen jokes are in, though he's fired. Nobody likes Dan Mullen, so early on that trade.
0: Emory Picker says neither team neither team has fun.
1: Fair, anyway, yeah. This is
0: not so bold, man. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be grueling sixty minutes for both fan bases in this one.
1: Over uh, under six go. tums for total coaches tums.
0: Ooh, I'm gonna say Kirby blacks out, any stomach pain or anything like that during this. He just grits his Before, teeth a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kirby could have to pass a kidney stone, and I, I don't think anybody is getting in the way. Of, uh, of him coaching a football game. I just don't. Fair. Not at this stage. Not at this stage of his life. Uh, we, we all heard the, the audio halftime against Florida, right? Like that, that's not a guy who's exactly aware of his bodily like, functions and feelings at that point. Mm-hmm. He's just not. Derek Walden. Bryce Young loses the Heisman in this game after being sacked five times, losing a fumble, and throwing an interception. Dylan McIntyre disagrees. Dylan McIntyre says, wrong. So we got both both ends of the spectrum there. Love Would wrong that lose Bryce on the Heisman?
1: <laughs> no, yeah, just okay. Wrong.
0: Would that lose him the Heisman? Because Bryce has had games where he's been good when he's been sacked five times. Losing a fumble, throwing an interception, two turnovers. If that's holding you to like 10 points, yeah, that could lose him the Heisman. That definitely could. But I don't know. There's, there's a little bit of wiggle room in that. But it is a bold prediction because Hitting Bryce Young is not an easy thing to do. Let's go to, oh, this is a good one from Tyler Davis. He says, Stetson Bennett has more passing yards than Bryce Young. I don't think that'll happen because if the the natural game script of this one suggests that Bama would be playing from behind. Mm-hmm. And if that's, if that's the case, you're not asking Stetson Bennett to throw the ball as much as you would Bryce Young on the other side. But I guess that's the bold part of that prediction to say that.
1: Thank you for bringing that up because that is the absolute most chaotic possibility is just the Stetson like podium game where he just throws for like 300 yards, four touchdowns against Alabama. And we're just like, wow, Kirby, he did it right. He figured it out. Think about that.
0: (laughs) Think about that though. If, if Stetson Bennett is up on that podium and he's flicking the confetti out of his curly hair, give Kirby his flowers, man. Mm -hmm. Because, nobody in their right mind would have said that before the start of the year nobody would have said you're going to win an sec championship you're going to be 13-0 and the quarterback's standing atop the podium for you not by some miraculous fluke and he had to come in and save the day late mm-hmm. but the guy who's gotten you there and who's been the quarterback of the number one team in the country stetson bennett could be the guy that gets you over the hump and if that happens a whole lot of people have been dog and kirby at every single chance about every quarterback decision he makes They'll have to give him a little bit of love in this one. But, of course, the opposite is also true. If Stetson Bennett struggles in this, Kirby's getting taken to the woodshed yep. by a whole lot of people. And it's, once again, Kirby doesn't realize who the more talented quarterback is. And we get to keep playing that narrative. It doesn't even necessarily mean that JT Daniels will be the guy because I think kind of in limited action this year, he's just been like, eh. Kinda so so. I mean he hasn't been blisteringly good or anything like that. Is that a word? Blisteringly? No, it's not a word.
1: No, that's that We're seems get... right.
0: Okay, whatever. We're getting to that point of the podcast. Let's uh let's do this one. Um okay. Got a couple of score predictions. Dallas Johns says Georgia wins 38 to 10. Charles Charles R. Todaro, aka Chuck, says Georgia wins 36 to 10. Let's see, ooh, I like this one from Carter Logan. George Pickens or Dominique Blaylock gets their first touchdown of this season. Mm -hmm. If that happens, the lift that that would provide, we talked about that earlier, that Georgia sideline would be on cloud nine. That's the type of thing that can really get you going, and everybody there would would be able to kind of appreciate what that would mean, given what those two guys have been through to come back from knee injuries. Dominic Playlock was like, the guy we were talking about at the beginning, of the season, like, oh yeah, he's had to come back from two different setbacks with his knee. He's played like 27 snaps this year or something. Yeah. I mean, barely anything, and Pickens, obviously, that, that kind of speaks for itself, but... I I don't hate that at all. I think one of these guys could have a big time moment. I know I predicted earlier Pickens, but I could see Blaylock being that guy too. Let's see. Let's see. What do we got here? This is bold. James Spivey says 17 to 7 UGA. That's bold because no team has won the SEC championship without hitting 28 points since. Do you know the answer to this?
1: Twenty-eight points, twenty-eight points, twenty-eight points. I mean, it would have had to be like, gosh, I'm trying to think of a low score. I guess it's a lot of blowouts, honestly, man. Twenty-eight points.
0: I asked you this for a reason.
1: Oh gosh, was it? Mm I don't know, man. Was it? Was it?
0: Oh, five LSU. Very, very good guess, but not quite. 2007 LSU, had 21 points in that game.
1: Oh, you said twenty? Okay, my bad. I was looking. I was looking at seventeen. I knew. Yeah, I knew that they had like the whole backup quarterback crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, two thousand seven LSU. That's the last time that somebody won the SEC championship without hitting twenty eight points. So that would be very bold if that were to happen. Let's go to this one. David Underwood jokes that Saban quits before halftime, takes the job at Notre Dame. Um, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, Caleb Tillman says Georgia shuts Alabama out in the first half again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that's not so bold because Georgia's has held seven of twelve teams so far to a first half shutout. So I guess it's not bold. Eight of thirteen would be like, hey, that's just kind of par for the course. No, I'm just kidding, Caleb. I like that prediction. That's actually pretty good. Shout out Derek Mason. And that is bold.
1: What a king.
0: <laughs> uh, let's do. Uh... Alex Nassib says seems like simply saying Bama wins is bold so that's mine. Yeah. Haven't seen a lot of that yet. Really yeah. haven't. Uh the Georgia the Georgia crowd is being heard loud and clear. The Bama crowd uh they they're not chirping but if they win this one boy they'll be loud. Yep. They'll be loud. Yep. I can't even necessarily blame them because this would be if if you're if you're a Bama fan and if you still find a way to beat Georgia given given how lopsided this looks man that's that's a tough thing to live down if you're if you're a diehard georgia fan knowing the way that this has played out in the past
1: there's there's almost no better feeling in sports this is 100% me with 2020 LSU against uh, florida is like you go back in you delete all the tweets saying you guys weren't going to win you go like yeah <laughs> what you think you were like counted out and your team goes through it's like yep yeah, see even i was wrong that's how bad you guys are <laughs>
0: We have more Georgia love on this one. Uh, Eli Harris says Georgia goes into halftime with the 10 point lead. Oh, just kidding. This isn't Georgia love. My bad eventually loses to Bama inside of the last two minutes. I remember being there for 2018 and uh, Marler was very much in the minority where we were sitting in that one. What a, what a wild thing to capture watching the Georgia fans who in our area, they knew they knew the wheels were gonna fall off at some point. Mm-hmm. I think this year's a different vibe. I just do. I, I don't think there's, there, there's always gonna be some people waiting for the worst to happen until the clock hits zero. They're always gonna assume that Bama's gonna find a way. But I think this year has a different, a little bit of a different type of confidence once they get that lead. Like if, if Georgia were to go up 21 to nothing in this game, you'd be like, all right, it's over. Mm-hmm. There would be a lot of people saying, you're not gonna score 21 points against this team. I don't think that necessarily happens though, where Georgia gets out to that quick of a lead. All right, let's find a lot of score predictions here, a lot of score predictions. He um, you know was crazy
1: about Georgia. As you say that, they don't really have a ton. I could be very stupid. Tell me if I'm stupid. I can't remember a ton of like Georgia come from behind victories. I'm sure they've had a couple. I know the Oklahoma game was kind of like back and
0: forth, but it seems comeback. like yeah, that's comeback for like, Yeah, like for you sure. know what
1: I'm saying. I, I, but it was like you know back and forth. It wasn't like they were down like
0: big. No, they were, I mean, they were down three scores in the first half in oh, that game. Oh my and God. Rodrigo hits the field goal. Mm-hmm. So that that is the last. That's that's a good point though. Like that's the last time they've really been down. Significantly within a day. And usually with Georgia, you kind of. Like, when they don't have it, you kind of know. Right. And they're not going to be built. Like, you go back to 2017 Auburn, go back to, I guess, that, yeah, that would have been 2018 LSU was the first one, the one in Baton Rouge, and then 2019 was, in the SEC that Championship. That was a
1: much funnier one. The 2018 oh. was much funnier one. But yeah, you're right. You're, it's like, oh, this, uh-oh. The South Carolina game 20, was another one. I was like, oh, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Great point.
0: 2018 Sugar Bowl. It, if Georgia doesn't have it, um, ew, yikes. Again, the live betting on this one. If you are betting on this game and bet responsibly, uh, keep keep that in mind for third sure.
1: Third quarter, third quarter, folks.
0: <laughs> Connor Kitchings, who spells his name correctly with two ends and an O, Connor says, oh. Channing Tindall, five sacks for him. That guy's everywhere." Mm-hmm. He is sideline to sideline. I know he doesn't get the same sort of shine that N'Kobe Dean and Nolan Smith do in this defense, but man, he is all over the place at linebacker. It feels like whenever there is a a big time tackle blowing up a screen or something like that, if it isn't N'Kobe Dean, if it isn't if it isn't you know one of those two guys, it's it's usually Tyndall and it's usually you know one of those plays that forces a uh, you know forces a team off the field, allows Georgia to get off the field and you know on, on third down or something like that. Let's Go. <laughs> Alright um, Let's end with this one uh, Let's end with this from Joe Morrison Joe says during the pregame Sabin threatens to send Kirby To his room without supper Which precipitates Kirby's coaching meltdown Where he only calls fake punts On fourth down And Emery responds to that by saying As long as no one is off sides On the punts Man I hope Georgia fans don't have to go down either of those two roads. I really don't. If they're going to lose this game, maybe maybe a little bit more of like a, hey, we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot in comedic fashion. But if, if Bama comes out here, Bryce Young plays the game of his life or something like that. And it's it's great. It's a back and forth game. And it ends that way. There's something to be said for that. And And here's an interesting thing. So I know short term, georgia you would say hey just just kill bama beat them by 30 that's the best possible result right Mm -hmm. but is there a little part of georgia fans that kind of hope that in a game in which look if they already got that playoff berth locked up which i think they do wouldn't you kind of want this to be your close game your Pull one out late, see what this team can do. Kirby Smart himself said he doesn't know what it's going to look like if they have to play a game tight in the fourth quarter. There's only so much you can simulate in practice, only so much you can do with those situations and you don't know until you see your team in those spots. And I know the Clemson game happened, but it happened in a very different sense because of who was starting a quarterback, obviously, and what that game meant at the time. Mm-hmm. But is that maybe the dream formula for Georgia of winning a game by a touchdown? A game that you want to win, you, you feel like you have to win, but at the same time, if the playoff berth is already locked up, this would be a good time to get tested like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I agree, and it's like with, with the with the Georgia offense, it's kind of like I always joking about that Kanye quote with you, Connor. It's like if they asked what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. And it's like that's what you, <laughs> that's what you hope for if you're Georgia. It's like yeah, what's gonna sure. happen if James Netson comes out in the fourth quarter? Well. Guess we'll never know. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, like ideally, of course, we're, we're talking about this saying, if you're a Georgia fan, of course you wish your team would just win by 40 every single game. No, we're, we're yeah, to no, be, I know. We're trying to be realistic here and paint Oh, listen, scenario. If you're a Georgia
1: fan, I'm here to tell you right now, you don't want your close game to be against Bamba. I, I, I would rather have a close game yeah. against Cincinnati, Michigan, any of these other teams that don't know how to do that. The last <laughs> person I want a close game with is Nick Saban because boy, that does not go well ever. <laughs>
0: Okay, within the game, yes. But then if you come out with a win right, to yeah. look back on that, yeah, that's that's like the, the difference there. Those are, I guess, are two slightly different things, but you're, you're 100% right. You don't want to be in a close game down the stretch against <laughs> Bama. All right, plan for Sunday. We will record after the playoff rankings come out. We're not going to have all the bowl games for SEC teams locked in just yet. So we're not going to go through that. We'll save that maybe for the for the midweek pod. But we will recap the SEC championship. We're going to talk some playoff matchups and all of that stuff. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored. And Saturday Lives Forever. Do that wherever you get your podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name Red On Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.